Welcome back to the Drama Llama Classroom Podcast. This is Mrs. Dumboya. And today we are continuing on the Canterbury Tales. So we've already read The Wife of Bath's Tale, and now we are moving on to The Partner's Tale. We're going to start with The Partner's Prologue, which again is where they're all in the tavern and they're all talking. And then after we get through the prologue, then we're going to jump into the actual story. So I hope you enjoy this one and let us know what you think. The Partner's Prologue. My lords, he said, in churches where I preach, I cultivate a haughty kind of speech and ring it out as roundly as a bell. I've got it all by heart, the tale I tell. I have a text, it's always the same, and always has been since I learned the game. Old as the hills and fresher than the grass, radix malorium ex capudias. I preach, as you have heard me say before, and tell a hundred lying mockeries more. I take great pains and stretch out my neck. To east and west I crane about and peck, just like a pigeon sitting on a barn. My hands and tongue together spin the yarn, and all my antics are a joy to see. The curse of avarice and cupidity, in all my sermon, for it frees the pelf, out come the pence, and specially for myself. For my exclusive purpose is to win, and not at all to castigate their sin. Once dead, what matter how their souls may fare? They can go blackberrying for all I care. And thus I preach against the very vice I make my living out of, avarice. And yet, however guilty of that sin, myself with others I have power to win. Win them from it, I can bring them to repent. But that is not my principal intent. Covetness is both of the root of stuff, of all I preach. That ought to be enough. Well, then I give examples thick and fast, from bygone times, old stories from the past. A yoke mine loves stories from old, being the kind that can repeat and hold. What, do you think, as long as I can preach, and get their silver for the things I teach, that I will live in poverty from choice? That is not the counsel of my inner voice. No, let me preach and beg from kirk to kirk, and never do an honest job of work. No, nor my baskets like St. Paul to gain a livelihood. I do not preach in vain. There is no apostle I would counterfeit. I mean to have money, wool and cheese and wheat, though it were given to me by the poorest lad or poorest village widow, though she had a string of starving children all agape. No, let me drink the liquor of the grape and keep a jolly wench in every town. But listen, gentlemen, to bring things down to a conclusion, would you like a tale? Now, as I've drunk a draught of corn ripe ale, by God it stands to reason I can strike on some good story that you all will like. For though I am a wholly vicious man, don't think I can't tell moral tales. I can. Here's one I often preach out for when winning. Okay, so that was... They're sitting there in that tavern, and the partner is going around kind of telling on himself, basically. So back in the day, the partner was basically somebody that you would go to. Um, he was part of. He was a member of the church, and you would pay him um, to be able to repent your sins. Okay, so he would go and do sermons in different towns and get money from people. And in doing so, he would, you know, okay, you know, your 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 soul is saved. You're good. Okay, but as he's bragging here, he doesn't actually care about that. He doesn't actually believe in any of it. All he cares about is money. So basically, he's a con man, and he's just trying to con all these people out of their money, or even old people that don't even have any money, out of their food or anything they have. Okay, so basically, he's a con man, and he has nothing, no problem with it. Okay, so he says, you know, I'm all about greed, even though that's what I like preach against, is I preach against not having any greed. 
okay? And, you know, I'm this really gross, vicious, greedy man. But don't let that fool you. I can still tell moral tales. I do that all the time in order to get people to pay me money. And then they repent to me. But I really don't care what happens to their souls. Like, when you're dead, you're dead. I don't care. I'm just in it for the money. All right. And so here we go. The Pardoner's Tale. It's of three rioters, I have to tell, who long before the morning service bell were sitting in a tavern for a drink, and as they sat, they heard the handbell clink before a coffin going to the grave. One of them called the little tavern knave and said, Go and find out at once, look spry, whose corpse is that in that coffin passing by, and see that you get the name correctly too. Sir, said the boy, no need, I promise you. Two hours before you came here, I was told, he was a friend of yours in days of old. And suddenly, last night, the man was slain, upon his bench, face up, dead drunk again. There came a privy thief, they call him Death, who kills us all around here, and in a breath. He speared him through the heart, he never stirred. And then Death went his way without a word. He's killed a thousand in the present plague. And sir, it doesn't do to be too vague. If you should meet him, you'd best be wary. Be on your guard with such an adversary. Be proud to meet him everywhere you go. That's what my mother said, it's all I know. Okay, so here we are, we have three guys, like they're three buddies, and they're all at this tavern or bar, and walking by them is a guy bringing a coffin, and there's like little bells going off, and so they turn to this kid that's working in the tavern and says, boy, you know, go go find out who who is that, and make sure you get the name right, okay, and the kid says, oh, you know, no, no, they already told me it's a friend of yours, and you know, you knew him, you know, several years back, that kind of thing, um, and I'll tell you, you know, it was death that got him. You need to be aware of him because that's killed thousands of us. And what they're relating to here, what the illusion is here, is that they are alluding, uh, with an A, not an I, they're alluding to the fact that during this time, Chaucer actually lived during the Black, so the author of this lived during the Black Plague in England, and it killed so many people, okay? Um... It ravaged England during Chaucer's childhood, and then it remained pretty widespread thereafter. And it's estimated to have wiped out at least 30 to 50% of the population in England at the time. Okay, so the Black Death was like a very big deal. Okay, Um, so the Black Plague, Bubonic Plague, kind of the same thing. Okay, Um, that we know of today. And it was a global epidemic. And it was the bubonic plague, and it struck Europe and Asia, okay? Um, So, it was a pandemic similar to what we're seeing now, Um, and it was on a huge, huge scale, and again, it, you know, wiped out 30 to 50% of England at the time of their population. So, what this story is alluding to is that bubonic plague or that black plague, okay? So, talking about death, okay? Okay. And they're basically personifying death and the Black Plague as death. Okay. So this kid's telling him, like, you need to look out because there's so many people have died from this that we don't know how or why. But death came around and that's what happened. The publican joined in with, by St. Mary, what the child said is right. You best be wary. This very year he killed in a large village a mile away, man, woman, surf at tillage, page in the household, children, all there were. Yes, I imagine that he lives round there. It's well to be prepared in these alarms. He might do you dishonor. Huh, God's arms. The writer said, Is he so fierce to meet? 
I'll search for him by Jesus street by street. God's blessed bones, I'll register a vow. Here, chaps, the three of us together now. Hold up your hands like me and we'll be brothers. In this affair, and each defend the others. And we'll kill this traitor death, I say. Away with him, as he is made away with all our friends. God's dignity tonight. They made their bargain, swore with appetite. These three to live and die for one another. As brother born might swear to his born brother. And they started up in their drunken rage, and made towards his village, with which the page and publican had spoke before. Many and grisly were the oaths they swore, tearing Christ's blessed body to a shred. If we can only catch him, death is dead. Okay, so they've heard from the publican that, like, there's this village and pretty much everyone has been wiped out by death here at this village. And these three are drunk and they're kind of idiotic and they're like, well, I'm not afraid of death, I'm gonna go find him. And so they all set up to go to this village to find death and make death pay for killing all their friends. Okay. Um, Again, they're very drunk. When they had gone not fully a half mile, just as they were about to cross a stile, they came upon a very poor old man who humbly greeted them and thus began. God look to you, my lords, and give you quiet. To which the proudest of these men of riot gave back the answer. (laughs) What, old fool, give place. Why are you all wrapped up except your face? Why live so long? Isn't it time to die? The old, old fellow looked him in the eye and said, Because I never yet have found, though I have walked to India, searching round, village and city on my pilgrimage, one who would change his youth to have my age. And so my age is mine and must be still, upon me for such time as God may will. Not even death, alas, will take my life, so wretched prisoner at strife within himself. I walk alone and wait, about the earth, which is my mother's gate, knock knocking with my staff from night to noon, and crying, Mother, open to me soon. Look at me, mother, won't you let me in? See how I wither, flesh, blood, and skin. Alas, when will these bones be laid to rest? Mother, I would exchange, for that were the best. The wardrobe in my chamber standing there. So long for yours, I, a shirt of hair, to wrap me in. She has refused her grace. Once comes the pallor of my withered face. But it dishonored you when you began to speak so roughly, sir, to an old... Unless he had injured you in word or deed, it says in holy writ, as you may read... Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head, and honor it, and therefore be it said, Do no more harm to an old man than you. Being now young would have another do, when you are old, if you should live till then. And so may God be with you, gentlemen, for I must wither go where I have to go. By God, the gambler said, you shan't do so. You don't get off so easy, by St. John. I heard you mention just a moment gone, a certain traitor, death, who singles out and kills the fine young fellows hereabout. And you're his spy, by God, you wait a bit. Say where he is, or you shall pay for it. By God and the Holy Sacrament, I say you've joined together by consent to call us younger folk, you thieving swine. Well, sirs, he said, if it be your design to find out death, turn up this crooked way towards that grove. I left him there today, under a tree, and there you'll find him waiting. He isn't one to hide for all your prating. And you see that oak? He won't be far to find. And God protect you that redeem mankind. I and amend you. Thus that ancient man. Okay, so what we have here is these rioters are, you know, they're heading out towards this village. Okay, so one's basically an alcoholic, another one's a gambler. Okay, so all these sins, um, they represent these sins. And they go out, they find this old man, and they're like, dude, shouldn't you be dead by now? You're so old and ugly. Like, they're just making fun of him. And this guy says, he's been begging for death, and death is just like, nope, sorry, not today. 
Um, so this old guy wants to die, but death just keeps, you know, skipping him. So there is a lot of contention over what this means. So some people think like, okay, it's just an old man. There's nothing further to look into. And other people want to go back to the Bible and they want to say that this old man is basically like the wandering Jew. Okay. Um, and it was basically like a symbol of death that supposedly roams the earth until the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, so they're saying that basically this guy is saying like he's so old and he's been wandering the earth forever and he keeps wanting to die because he's just so over this. But that is, that's basically what he has to do is he has to wander the earth until the second coming of Christ. So a lot of people see parallels with that. But we just don't know. But it would make sense because this is the partner's tale and the partner is related to the church. So this would make sense. At once, the three young riders began to run and reached the tree, and there they found a pile of golden florins on the ground. New coined eight bushels of them as they thought. No longer was it death, those fellows thought, for they were all so thrilled to see the sight. The florins were so beautiful and bright, but down they sat beside the precious pile. The wickedest spoke first after a while. Brothers, he said, you listen to what I say. I'm pretty sharp, although I joke away. It's clear that fortune has bestowed this treasure to let us live in jollity and pleasure. Light come, light go. We'll spend it as we ought. God's precious dignity. Who would have thought this morning was to be our lucky day? If one could only get the gold away, back to my house, or else to yours perhaps, for as you know, the gold is ours, chaps. We'd all be at the top of fortune, eh? But certainly it can't be done by day. People would call us robbers, a strong gang, so our own property would make us hang. Okay. So with a bit of foreshadowing, we saw that earlier where the old man, he said, well, you know, I just left death earlier after talking to him and trying to convince death to kill me. Um, he's up around that corner over by that tree. Like if you go to that tree, you won't have far to find death. Okay. So these guys run after trying to find death. And instead of death, they find this huge bushel of coins. Okay. Like a very impressive amount of money. Okay, so they're very, very excited about this. So now they've completely forgot about death, and they're like, yeah, it's all about the money. Okay, it's all about the Benjamins. Um, in this case, the Florins. <laughs> um, that's what they're focused on now. And they're like, but crap, we can't take this anywhere because people know us, and if they see us carrying all these coins, they're going to say, oh, you know, they must have robbed somebody. And then our lucky happenstance of finding these coins would actually end in our death because people would hang us thinking we're robbers even though we just found this so we got to figure out a way to get this money back to one of our houses without everybody seeing so we can't do this during the day so we got to come up with a plan no we must bring this treasure back by night some prudent way and keep it out of sight and so as a solution i propose we draw for lots and see the way it goes the one who draws the longest lucky man shall run to town as quickly as he can to fetch us bread and wine but keep things dark while two remain in hiding here to mark our heap of treasure. If there's no delay, when night comes down, we'll carry it away, all three of us, wherever we have planned. He gathered his lots and hid them in his hand, bidding them draw for where the luck should fall. It fell upon the youngest of them all, and off he ran at once towards the town. Okay, so they're talking about bidding lots, basically it's like drawing straws. 
okay so everyone has a straw you draw the straw and you know like the shortest straw loses um so in this case it was like if you got the longest straw you're the lucky one you had to run to town and get you know bread and wine to celebrate while the other two stay here and protect the gold right and so it was the youngest one that actually got that so the youngest one is now running off to town to get the bread and the wine and the other two are just hanging back and watching over the gold as soon as he had gone, the first sat down, and thus began a parley with the other. You know that you can trust me as a brother. Now let me tell you where your profit lies. You know our old friend has gone to get supplies. And here's a lot of gold that is to be divided equally amongst us three. Nevertheless, if I could shape things thus, so that we shared it out of the two of us, wouldn't you take that as a friendly act? But how? the other said. He knows the fact that all the gold was left with me and you. What can we tell him? What are we to do? Is it a bargain, said the first, or no? For I can tell you in a word or so what's to be done to bring the thing about. Trust me, the other said. You needn't doubt my word. I won't betray you. I'll be true. Well, said his friend, you see that we are two, and two are twice as powerful as one. Now look. When he comes back, get up in fun to have a wrestle. Then, as you attack, I'll up and put my dagger through his back. While you and he are struggling as in game, then draw your dagger, too, and do the same. Then all this money will be ours to spend, divided equally, of course, dear friend. Then we can gratify our lusts and fill the day with dicing at our own sweet will. Thus, these two miscreants agreed to slay the thirty youngest, as you heard me say. The youngest, as he ran towards the town, kept turning over, rolling up and down, within his heart the beauty of those bright new florins, saying, Lord, to think I might have all that treasure to myself alone? Could there be anyone beneath the throne of God so happy as I then should be? Okay, so the youngest is now running off towards town to get supplies, while the other two are plotting. Okay, they are plotting his death. They're like, okay, when he comes back, you're gonna act like you're wrestling with him and then i'm gonna stab him with my dagger and then you're gonna stab him with your dagger and we are just going to kill him and we're gonna take the money and run okay but as the youngest is running towards town the youngest is thinking wow what would it be like to have all that money just for myself nobody would be happier and so the fiend our common enemy was given power to put it in his thought that there was always poison to be bought and with that poison he could kill his friends. To men in such a state the devil sends thoughts of this kind and has full permission to lure them on to sorrow and perdition. For this young man was utterly content to kill them both and never to repent. And on he ran. He had no thought to tarry, came to the town and found an apothecary and said, sell me some poison if you will. I have a lot of rats I want to kill. And there's a polecat too about my yard that takes my chicken and it hits me hard. But I'll get even, as is only right, with vermin that destroy a man by night. The chemist answered, I have a preparation which you shall have, and by my soul's salvation, if any living creature eat or drink, a mouthful ear he has time to think. Though he looks less than makes the grain of wheat, you'll see him fall down, dying at your feet. Yes, die he must, and so in short a while, you'd hardly have the time to walk a mile. The poison is so strong, you understand. Okay, so now this young guy who's gone to town for bread and wine is now stopping at the apothecary, aka like the pharmacy, 
Um, but back then, the pharmacy sold a lot more stuff. And so he's like, I need poison for, like, the rats. <laughs> you know, the rats and, like, a polecat. Because, hey, I need lots of poison. So the, the chemist at the apothecary is like, cool. Here's some poison. It will knock a guy dead. Like, you wouldn't even get a mile after this. So, like, just be sure that you know, like, this is very potent stuff. This cursed fellow grabbed into his hand the box of poison, and away he ran into a neighboring street and found a man who lent him three large bottles. He withdrew and deftly poured the poison into two. He kept the third one clean, as well he might, for his own drink, meaning to work all night, stacking the gold and carrying it away. And when this rioter, Devil's Clay, had filled his bottles up with wine, all three, back to rejoin his comrades, sauntered he. Okay, so now we know he got the poison, he bought the poison, the poison for Cusco, yes, the poison for Cusco, the, the poison, yeah, the poison. Okay, um, but this time it's legit poison, it is not llama poison. Okay, and he's put it into two of these bottles with wine, and he's kept the other one clean for himself. So like, hey, I can drink this, and I'll be cool, but these guys are going to drink it, and they're not going to be cool. Okay, so very, very much like the Emperor's New Grove, right? We're going to drink ours, ours will be good, his won't be good. Okay. Why make a sermon of it? Why waste breath? Exactly in the way they planned his death, they fell on him and slew him, two to one. Then said the first of them when this is done, Now for a drink, sit down and let's be merry, for later on there'll be corpse to bury. And as it happened, reaching for a sup, he took a bottle full of poison up, and drank, and his companion, nothing loth, drank from it also, and they perished both. There is, in Avancina's long relation, concerning poison and its operation. Trust me, no ghastlier section to transcend, but these two wretches suffered at their end. Thus these two murderers received their due, so did the treacherous young poisoner too. O cursed sin, O blackguardedly excess, O treacherous homicide, O wickedness, O gluttony that lusted on and diced. Dearly beloved, God forgive your sin and keep you from the vice of avarice. My holy pardon frees you all of this, provided that you make the right approaches, that is, with sterling rings or silver brooches. Bow down your heads and under his holy bull, come on, you women, offer up your wool. I'll write your name into my ledger so, into the bliss of heaven you shall go, for I'll absolve you by my holy power. You that make the offering clean as the hour, when you were born, that serves as how I preach, and Jesu Christ, soul's healer, I the leech. Of every soul, grant pardon, relieve you. Of sin that is best, I won't deceive you. Okay, so here we kind of have the end of that story. Okay, so the two guys killed the younger guy, just like they planned, and then they drank from the wine, but that was the poisoned wine. So they died too. So kind of like everybody got what was coming to them because of their sins. And now the partner is like, hey, I can save you from this. So if you've been greedy or if you've been gambling or, you know, partaking in any of these sins, I can pardon you from all of these sins. You just have to give me, you know, silver rings, jewelry, wool, you know, give me all of this and I will write your name in my ledger and basically I'll absolve you of your sins. Um, you know, I'm a good guy. I've got you. You just need to make a small payment to me and I'll make sure that God says you're good. One thing I should have mentioned in my tale, dear people, I have some relics in my bail and pardons too, as full and fine, I hope, as any in England given me by the Pope. If there be one among you that is willing to have my absolution for a shilling, devoutly given, come, and do not harden your hearts kneel to the humbleness of a pardon. Or else receive my pardon as we go, you can renew it every town or so, 
always provided that you still renew each time and in good money what is due. It is an honor to have you found a partner with his credentials sound, who can absolve you as you ply the spur in any accident that may occur. Okay, so basically he's still going on like, hey, I just told this terrible story about greed, but I'm still greedy as mess, and look, I have all these relics given to me by the Pope, and I've talked to the Pope, and you have the absolution if you just give me a shelling, and... I can give you a pardon every time we meet to a new town. You just need to make sure that you pay me each time we get to a new town. Okay? And you want to make sure that you are getting pardoned just in case an accident would happen, like in the story. You know, if something were to happen accidentally, you'd want to make sure that your soul is saved and pardoned. So maybe it might be smart to pay me every time we get to a new town for me to pardon your soul. For instance, we are all at Fortune's Beck. Your horse may throw you down and break your neck. What a security it is to all, to have me here among you and at call, with pardon for the lowly and the great, when Soli's body for the future state. And I advise our host here to begin, the most enveloped of you all in sin. Come forward, host, you shall be the first to pay, and kiss my holy relics right away. Only a groat, come on, unbuckle your purse. Okay, so he's like, okay, I told my tale, and, you know, accidents happen, you know, your horse might throw you off and you might die. You really want to leave your soul to chance, or do you want to make sure that you're covered? And he says, you know what, you're the tavern owner, so obviously, you you know, you help people commit sin. So, you should be the first one. Come on, it's only, you know, it's only a silver coin. It, it doesn't cost that much. Come on, open your purse, go ahead and give me the money, and I'll make sure you're good. Okay, so, that is the partner's tale. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it made sense to you guys. Um, And again, you can look at different things in popular culture that pull from the Canterbury Tales and these different tales that we hear from Geoffrey Chaucer. So, again, we were talking about the Emperor's New Groove. That steals from it a little bit as well with the poison, okay? Um, It's Disney, so it ends on a brighter note, obviously. But, you know, you do have that same thing where somebody is plotting against somebody else and the other one decides to plot against them and it's a cycle okay and then we see that even though he told this tale the partner hasn't learned anything from it and he's still just greedy and slimy and he's only in it for the money so everything he's saying he doesn't believe anything that he's preaching at all he just wants the money so he's telling people you know don't be greedy but Meanwhile, over here, I'm going to take all your money because I'm greedy. You know, do as I say, not as I do, basically, is the partner. So, let me know how you guys enjoy these stories. That concludes this version, or this portion of the Canterbury Tales. There are several, several more. Um, If you would like to check out The Knight's Tale, they actually turned that into a movie with Heath Ledger. Rufus Sewell, Paul Beatney and Mark Addy. Um, so it came out in 2001, so probably right around the time some of you guys were born, maybe a little before. Um, it's a decent version um, of The Knight's Tale. So again, we have all these tales that are being told by Chaucer. And actually in The Knight's Tale, we actually get to see Chaucer, okay, um, who is played by Paul Beatney. So if you guys are interested, you can check out that movie. Okay, um, it's called A Knight's Tale. That's K-N-I-G-H-T. 
um, Slow Night's Tale, and it came out in 2001. And hopefully you guys can kind of see how all these different stories kind of go together. Um, and it's a frame story. So the Canterbury Tales talks about all these people, these pilgrims, um, going on this journey. And then each of them tells a tale. And then as you can see, there's generally a tale within that tale. Um, and so that's kind of a frame story. Okay, a frame within a frame within a frame. Okay, and we'll talk more about that in class. Um, so I hope you've enjoyed these. And be thinking of these when you are working on your own short stories. Um, it's okay to borrow ideas from other people. Um, most writings and publications are borrowed from other people, both contemporary and back in the day. So that has been it for the Drama Llama Classroom podcast on the Canterbury Tales.